Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And, well, we made it. Uh, Roger's back. <laughs> Hello, Buckwheat. <laughs> Hello, Buckwheat. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's interesting because this also, sh um, with it, is like one of our last appearances of Mark on the show. Because right at the beginning, they have to call home base. And, uh, you know, both their boss and Mark are there. And it's like, Mark doesn't really have a ton of lines, but he they still keep up the consistency of having him around. So it's nice. Uh, but more importantly, it picks up exactly where the previous episode left off with... <laughs> Uh, with Vinny driving off and Frank trying to chase him, but starting too late and not able to track him down. And we see Vinny make a phone call, right? Uh, calling Roger and telling him, I need you to take over for me. So yes, in case you're wondering, like, because of the way this was shot, it was a little strange. So Ken Wall did really quit the show. And then was convinced to come back and shoot scenes, I guess, from the previous... Like, do inserts from the previous episode and shoot this scene to, like, hand the show over to uh, Roger. Roger. And so... Uh, so he calls... So Frank calls Lifeguard, says, I need to know where Vinny is. And he's on the... And Vinny's on the phone, so they can't call him on his uh, satellite phone. And then Vinny destroys the satellite phone the minute he's done calling Roger. And so Frank phones up the boss to try and figure out what the hell they're going to do strategy-wise. And while they're on the phone, who should turn up at his uh, door but Roger. Yep. Being like, Vinny called me and told me what to do. And uh, it, it's kind of great because, of course, as they point out, uh, he thought Roger was dead. Yeah, I know. He thought Roger was dead. And he's like, how are you here? And as he says, like, uh, I, Vinny and I never lost touch. And that's the thing, this whole time. And it's completely believable. Like, I'm sure there were security protocols in case to keep them from being eavesdropped. Because, you know, they're both spies, essentially. But Vinny never stopped being friends with Roger and talking to Roger to the point where Roger knows everything about Frank's wife's uh, new liver. Yeah. Like, he knows about the money being used for that. He knows the Frank's life, uh, wife left him. Like, he is completely caught up on Frank's life. And he says, I'm here because Vinny asked me to be here. And the minute you say I can go, I'll go. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's basically he called in a marker yeah. and you are the one to determine when the marker is paid exactly. off. Exactly. And yeah. then they get to the scene that I was alluding to last week, uh, the scene that is so familiar to anyone who watched Criminal Minds, where they go to a bar, like the bar in the hotel, and, you know... Roger gives them a couple of hundred bucks to open the bar early because it's like 7 a.m. Yeah. And they sit there drinking and talking about the situation. And it's very well written because it is clear they are talking about the production problems they're having and Ken Wall. Yes. But everything they say works for the plot as well. Yes. And that is what Criminal Minds wasn't able to crack. Like, at the end of that episode, it is literally just, here is a message from 
uh, here is a message that is from uh, AJ Cook to the fans of Criminal Minds. There is no way this works within the world of the show. Like, nothing that is happening makes sense. This is a message from AJ Cook to the fans. Whereas here on Wise Guy, they managed to make the conversation make sense. Because, again, they're better at using metaphor than Criminal Minds is. Well, it's their writing room. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're, just, they're just better writers. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to pretend there's some debate to this. They're better writers yeah, than the people those, on Criminal Minds. Those, those, those who have listened to our Criminal Minds podcasts know what we think about the writers. Oh, absolutely. For the most part. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there are constraints. These, this writing room is able to immediately jump to oh, yeah. the problem and solve it immediately and which is why some of these bizarre like the uh romp yeah it was so bizarre that ending i don't yeah. know how that slid by anybody but anyway, let's go back to this. Yeah. this is this is a perfect example of how well they you know, can do this yeah they can you know it's um they're professionals and that's what it comes yeah, down to it's like, it's like okay well don't know what the problem is and don't know well he'll come back when he comes back and yeah you know uh we'll so we'll solve this in the meantime i'm here but you can't tell anybody i'm here <laughs> so you're gonna have to find some way i don't want you to lie but you, you also know. can't tell your bosses i'm here yeah. And he says, and this is the interesting thing. He says, I, um, and essentially we know why now that Admiral Stryken's dead and Leland Masters is in jail or an asylum, like he, he goes around, he's gone back to just being Roger Lococo in public and assuming that no, and he's like, he's like, I'm not hiding from my past anymore. I'm not, I haven't been charged with any crimes, you know, uh, like, and the people who wanted me dead, Anybody who knows what crimes I've committed are dead or in jail, and the people who wanted me in dead are those people. So I've just taken my life back, and that's a really interesting idea. And every now and then, somebody recognizes me, and I go, no, that's not me. Well, no, no, he says it's me, but I don't kill people for the government anymore. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're conflating what he says in this scene with Rogo being the one person in town who watches the news. Because yeah. in their scene, Rogo's like, I feel like I know you. I feel like I've seen you somewhere. And yeah, even, joke, Volchek, yeah. even Volchek says that, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, because Volchek and uh, Rogo are like the only two people in town who, like, watch the news. So it's kind of funny. And I mean, but then again, it was two years ago. So like, who yeah. remembers what a guy from some congressional hearings that didn't lead to anything from two years ago looks like? Like, yeah, this he is was the, the internet. You can't yeah. just type a name into your computer and find out someone's entire life. Yeah, it's really funny. Eh? I mean, the the impact, when you look at this show, right? Yeah. It's not just payphones. It's the internet is mm -hmm. so ubiquitous now. And this has got to be so strange for people who have lived their entire lives being able to type something into the internet. And find out and anything you want to know. Anything they want. And they, yeah, it's, or, or anything they don't want to know. Cool. Or, you know, a whole bunch of other things. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is, it is a strange world 
It has been a seismic to? shift in the way we live. Yeah, and I don't, and it, and it will fall out. I mean, it will solve itself. It's like the industrial revolution. But right now, we're in the middle of the mess oh, of God, trying whatever. to figure out how, how what the next it. version of living on Earth is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, the internet's been around for what twenty years, thirty. Well, it was. In started tactically in the seventies, but like the real internet we use didn't really get up and going until the until the 2000s. 2000, yeah, well, it, it's when Mosaic came out with its web browser. That was innovative, and then all these other web browsers. Yeah, like and we, we were all using bulletin board systems and whatnot, but oh like the, I know, but like being able to type in www and go to a website, that was the birth of, quote unquote, the internet as people think of it. And yeah. that, as you say, it wasn't really widely adopted until the 2000s. I mean, we're only talking 20 years. Exactly. So uh, and, we're and still Derek, all figuring this stuff out. Yeah, and that's what you're seeing. I mean, this this whole mess. Oh. And usually the bad guys are going to figure out how to use it before the good guys do. And that's why we and that's where NFTs come from. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and what are, tell me again what NFTs are? Uh basically, um so you know how uh, all value is created by scarcity? Yes. Uh, a bunch of bankers and con artists have decided that the internet can be made scarce. And so basically what they've started doing is offering people a place in a line that only exists in code. So it's like, here, you can stand in this line and you own this place in the line. Is it a line for anything? Is it a line to anywhere? No, but it's your place in this line. And that place in the line is represented by a really ugly picture. And that's what an NFT is. Well, it, no, it's very bizarre because we get, of course, all these, these, um, um, <clears throat> I, I get all these emails oh, on our yeah, yeah. minds from podcasters and podcast systems. You want to talk and, about NFTs and, course, and here's the evidence and blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they all, they all want to offer me an NFT. You can now get an NFT if you want with Podbean, and I think. Yeah, it's like you, know, we can, we can, you can mint NFTs based on your podcast and get your fans to buy your NFTs and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, seriously? Why? Why? I'm not a con artist. No. And we're not planning on making money from this particular pod, pod, anyway, podcast. Yeah, it's just there's no reason for us to do it. But the funny thing is, it's like it is literally like selling people nothing and okay. charging them obscene amounts of money. And in That's case you're wondering, yeah. And in <laughs> case you're wondering, yes, 90% of the NFT transactions are either fraudulent, um, i.e. people just trading them back and forth between each other to try and build a fake record of value so you can con someone with it later, or just money laundering. Well, or as I, yes, and as I would say, um, yeah, that, that's good. And that's like, uh, and then there's uh, jackslate.com. Jackslate.com. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, that's another whole conversation. Thousands of dollars and you're just going. A website nobody wants because some uh, is going for thousands of dollars? Why is that exactly? Oh. <laughs> we that's bought so... jackslate.ca, though. Oh, yeah, no, that, that was nothing. <laughs> Because you know people don't buy the people don't buy the CAs when they're pulling these scams because they never think to. No. All these no. scams are aimed at Americans because Americans are not uniquely gullible to scams. 
but you know they're very gullible to scams because america well, they, they want to make rich they they, they always rich want to get rich quick oh yeah i mean that's why the lotteries like it when you think about those stupid lotteries absolutely exact same thing Anyway, let's let's get back to let's get back to the good stuff. Yes, let's get back to the good stuff. So, uh, so Frank reluctantly brings Roger in on the deal, and of course can't tell anybody about it. And then we get the fantastic scene. Maybe one of the showpiece. We've talked about how this is by far the strangest arc the show ever did, right? And no. this is one hundred percent factually true because now we get the scene. Where everybody <laughs> at the FBI watches Mr. Sardonicus. <laughs> and and then you get like, and so, and they have hired Jeffrey Lyons, and it's like Jeffrey Lyons, actual film critic Jeffrey Lyons is there playing himself as an expert brought in to tell them what Mr. Sardonicus means <laughs> and why Mark might be obsessed with it. And he has like, the most shallow and unhelpful things to say. Like, nothing to say. He has nothing to say. And it's like, are they making fun of Jeffrey Lyons? And if so, why is he participating in this? Well, I don't think they're making fun of Jeffrey Lyons, okay? I think they're making fun of movie critics. Generally. Generally speaking. And that would include, like, TV critics and the rest of it. And he may, he may do it because... What the hell, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, it's, it's a high he, profile. It's a network TV show. Why not do it's it? It's a high profile network TV show, and they're not talking about him. Well, but I mean, they are. <laughs> like he is playing himself. Yes, but you understand. No, you do understand. And that I think what's, not, what's so funny I mean, about he the does scene. Not. Oh no, yeah. you're right. He's not but it off terribly. Funny, right? But it's it's funny that uh, like we've brought him here to try and give us some insight into why Mark Volchek might be obsessed with this movie. And he just starts talking about how, you know, it's a very old movie with very simple effects. He might, you know, as as a child of Vietnam, he might long for a simpler time when people used to watch <laughs> movies like this. I'm like, what are you talking about, Jeffrey Lyons? <laughs> Well, he's reading the lines it was given. I know. But that's <laughs> because I know. they have to do that because we get the brilliant analysis later on. Yeah, we do. Uh, in we the next episode, do. right? So they have to they have to get this thing. And then the the best part of this is though the psychologist, they want her to she says, Well, unless I know more about him and stuff, <laughs> I really can't tell you much. <laughs> you know. But to like be fair, they do have some. That they do have some insight, decent insight to offer, because as they point out, um, he's got crawl in the uh, in the movie, and he's named his house after the house from the thing. So obviously, he sees himself as the main guy, and so the psychologist's first thing is: is he involved in some kind of a master-slave relationship with somebody? Right yeah. in the town, in the same way he is in the movie, and and it's like, yeah, he was with the sheriff, and he wants to recruit me for that job now that the sheriff's dead, is what Frank said. So they do have some insight to offer, some small insight to offer. But more than that, it's like, yeah, you know, it's 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 it. Yeah, I mean, they they don't know much about him. They haven't looked him up too much because. They got sidetracked side yeah. by the serial killer thing. Exactly. They don't know. They, right, they just don't know that much about Mark. Yeah, not yet. 
Not yet. No, I mean, because the Volcheks have just, nobody bothered to pay attention to the Volcheks. I'll bet you there's not much in terms of newspaper. Like, if you yeah, start just no, research. Yeah. yeah, there's, like, history on this town existed and who owns what. But it's like, nobody writes stories about these people. There's barely a town newspaper. Yeah. So, you know, it's if you want to do research, it's going to be really hard to figure out what's going on. Oh, yeah. Like, because nobody bothered because nobody was unhappy with it. Nobody. It's not a like it's not a cult town. No. Right. Everybody works. Everybody goes. You know, they've got everybody as as crazy it is. uh, Everybody pays their taxes. So, you know, why why would would the government care? care what's going on? Yeah, it's going back to that. As long as these people are not breaking any laws, any major federal laws, who cares? Yeah, and that was the problem with Stem was that he was all of a sudden going to rain terror down on Lynchboro. Yep. And then we've got the, uh, then we get the funeral scene, which is nice. Right? Uh, we get the funeral scene, which is nice because, uh, Rogo gets to make his speech about how this town is suffocating. And Mark, being a classy guy, you know, steps out. So he, like, obviously you're here to complain about me. And uh, you probably don't feel comfortable doing that with me in the room. So I'll just step out and let you continue your speech of It's nice. It's like, Mark can be classy, too. You know? He's not the worst guy in the world. He's not great. I'm not saying Mark's great. This isn't going to be another Albert Sirico did nothing wrong. But, you know. (laughs) He is understandably frustrated. He argues with Lacey outside about how, you know. And that's the thing. Nobody loves me. And it's like, I do everything for this town. These people are my whole life. And I've got, and I'm expected to sit there and just have people insulting me in front of the whole town. It's like, yeah, uh, you understand where he's coming from, but he can hold it together when he's in public. So there you go. That puts him over a bunch of existing people we've met. (laughs) Uh, so then uh, Frank comes in to introduce Roger to Mark. We go up to Goroslava. Frank comes in to introduce Roger to Mark. Uh, and Mark is like, I don't understand why I need somebody else. And Frank's like, I can't really justify being here now that the serial killer's dead. So I need eyes and ears here on the town if you want me to work for you. You know, And so he's like, yeah, it, it's he's able to sell Roger to him very easily which is nice and during the whole scene roger is in the background spinning around over and over again on a back straightening device because again they want this to be as weird looking as possible and (laughs) as like disorienting as possible yep like this is a show this is your episodes of television made by people who have had to throw out their entire game plan and are pretty sure their show is going to get canceled so they have nothing left to lose so they go weird they get weird next and, next episode's even weirder i know and then uh, mark finally lays out what his evil plan is to frank and mm-hmm. it turns out his sinister plan is he wants a hospital for the town. I know. That's, That's it. Yeah, he wants to build a hospital. He wants to build a hospital. And 
a 700 room hospital for yes. as frank says for a town of 15,000 people you know <laughs> Like, why do you need oh. a 7,000, uh, 700 room hospital? That would literally mean 2% of the entire population could be in the hospital at any time. <laughs> That's insane. In private rooms. In private rooms. That's not even counting the emergency. And I mean, we'll find out soon enough that what he wants it for is to become like the world's leading destination for cryogenic research. But yeah. that's not something he's willing to open up about yet. Uh, he does talk a little about how um, uh, he is. He he uses the term meltdown, which is nice. Everything's going to melt down, and he uses meltdown as the worst possible thing something can do. That's going to be important later, right? And of course, we get the. Uh, <laughs> The great moment of him still being very cagey and being like, I can't tell you exactly what I want, but I can be very specific about how much money I'm willing to pay you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like $25,000 to keep a lid on this town until, right, uh, until the end of the week. And then that's that. Then Roger can train Donnie how to be sheriff and you guys can go. So, yeah, it's like he's... For a villain, he's being very reasonable. Well, as long as he gets the hospital. Yeah. He doesn't really <clears> care <throat> about the other stuff. No. Yeah. And then continuing this season's, <laughs> this arc's habit of getting weird. Uh, when we come back from commercial, we cut to Lifeguard, who is in bed with a woman who we haven't met before. We're like, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> This whole thing was just... This whole arc you know, is so strange. Yes. So he's in bed with this woman, and then she gets... A call. So then the phone rings, and so... She, and then we can figure out who she is. She's the... A handler who works on the West Coast. Yeah. She's the West Coast handler. Yeah. And so, you know, and then, and then of course, it's Frank calling, calling Mike. So Mike has to get out of bed. Of course. You know, so... So Frank tells him what, what he wants, and then, you know, he says, oh, the handler here knows everything you need to know, gives it to him, you know, as the two are lovey-dovey at the same time, <laughs> as they're on the phone with Frank, and then yeah. Frank again says, oh, you're sounding really good right now, today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I like it here. He likes it in... Uh... Turns out he likes it in the Pacific Northwest. Who knew? <laughs> I'm just going, oh, Lord, I tell you, this show. Yeah. But anyway. It was... No, it's good. It's good. It's really good. And there's a great scene with them later on, too, which we'll talk about when we get there. Yeah. Uh, because, well, I, we'll talk about when we get yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so they look into Helmut Zimbrick, who's the man who sells, uh, who is in charge of deciding who gets a hospital, basically, because the state has to license hospitals and hospital licenses are given out based on whether they think it's a good idea to have all of those resources allocated to a given area. Like, it's actually, I mean, it's pretty sense. It's a completely sensible and completely realistic thing they're talking about. Obviously, you have to, like... 
there could only be a limited amount of hospitals, so it makes perfect sense to take care of it this way. Like, everything the characters are talking about makes perfect sense, but the difference is, Helmut Zimbrick is selling the hospitals to anyone who wants one. Yes. And that's what makes him a bad guy. Yes, well, you know... You know, a license for a 700-room hospital for a population of 15,000 is a little... It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Make any sense at all. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So, obviously, like, obviously, you know, the guy must be corrupt. And it turns out the state knows he's corrupt, and they're planning to bust him very soon. And so they put in a call to say, don't, like, we'll bust him at the meeting with Mark. Right. And that's that's the plan. I'm actually making a payoff to Mark will be the crown uh, from Mark. Like receiving a payoff from Mark will be like the crown jewel in their case against him because they can arrange this. Yes. So yeah, it's 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 a very good plan, you know. And then we get some details. Oh, oh, uh, I forgot. No, no, we get back to the brothel first. I don't know. But first we get Roger introducing oh, himself to the introducing himself to the other guys and Donnie's there very pissed that you know uh that everybody is being look overlooked like they're from this town they live in this town why on earth are we uh you know aren't aren't Still. we getting the the becoming the sheriff instead of just some carpetbagger and Roger's like, because I can do this and he uses his uh ball bearing throwing trick to shatter <laughs> A, uh, coffee. a coffee a coffee pot like okay yeah roger's still a scary guy roger hasn't stopped being a scary guy just because and he's it, retired yeah he tells one guy he tells one guy to clean it up he yep. puts sends the other guy off to get rogo and and puts out and a cigarette him. in his hand yep and then tells tells donnie well uh you can go to the brothel because you know where it is <laughs> yes uh, which is the great follow-up to the like uh, the line where the line you don't how, even know even where, where the brothel, brothel is. Yeah, do you? from here. <laughs> it's a nice scene. It's a genuinely nice oh, no. scene. Nice little it's scene nice with Roger. Scene. Yeah, and, and it reestablishes uh, just how good Roger is at his job too of controlling situations. Yeah, he just has to let them vent, mm -hmm. and then he when they're finished venting, he just. Because he's waiting for the opening. That's what Roger's doing. He's waiting yep. for the opening where he can take control. And, of course, Donnie gives it to him. Well, what's with this bull bearing flying around? And it's uh, like, boom, there's my opening. There. Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, again, Roger's good at this. Like, Roger lasted a long time, you know, in the profit organization. Which is as crazy as it gets. And he lasted a long time in that organization, more than anybody else, in fact. So, yeah, like really reminding us who Roger is and why Roger's here. And then we get the brothel stuff yes. where uh, where he finds ah. out here's here's the lady that uh, that Helmet liked last time. So we're going to make sure she uh, gets her ivory Corvette. Yeah, gets her ivory Corvette. Her ivory Corvette. And as he says, that's a special order. That color's a special order. So, mm. uh, And so he's going to try her out that night before it's time for Helmet to arrive. Because he has not slept with this one yet, hence she doesn't have a Corvette. 
It's not. Um, yes, which is know, which, right? which tells everybody how we know what we said about the brothels the last time. Yeah. Oh, and then um, you do get a really fun line because the way they find out about Helmut Zimbrick, we skipped ahead of that, is that uh, Roger goes through all of uh, Stem's files. And yeah. the habit is, right, uh, in order to get people, whenever someone, you know, big is coming through town, right, what, uh, what they would do is make sure he got a speeding ticket or some kind of an infraction so that then Mark could come down to the police station and make it go away. But yes. as a result, you've got this file of all these canceled tickets listing everybody of note who has come through the town who there might be some kind of a blackmailable information on. So yeah, like uh, they're they're running this town, uh, this corrupt town, fairly professionally. I gotta say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you it's a it small. You're right. Yeah. It's a small town, so you're able to get away small with this. Town, town. You can get away with it, and it's never a big deal because you give these guys their tickets, but you know, then you write them off. So what are they gonna complain about? And th then they get shown a good time because down they're- the, Yeah, people. down at the whorehouse. And yeah, everybody everybody always has a good time and everybody goes home, you know, thinking that Mark <laughs> Volchak's got a handle on his town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Like it's, again, they've, they've built out the town really well. Yeah. Right? And so they're like, okay, we're gonna take down this town like we're gonna get mark we're gonna stop the corruption and immediately roger has slight misgivings about this but more yeah. importantly they've discovered that up as Gorislava, there are there are some dead bodies because in the files they're able to find a bunch of refrigeration equipment yes that was delivered to Gorislava, and they're like so they walk to the mausoleum. They find the uh, the mother and the Mark's mother and Mark's grandmother's graves outside, but mm -hmm. none of the male members of the family have graves. So they go inside, and what do they find? Cryogenic tubes. Yep. <laughs> Giant iron lung-sized cryogenic tubes that are kept at, you know, abs as close to absolute freezing point as he can get them, with giant banks of computers main sh uh, making sure it all works. And then, just because the show... Uh, and again, this is why he talked about Meltdown being the worst thing. This is why he has a line about how there is no other life. Right? He doesn't yes. believe in God. He doesn't believe in the afterlife. He believes in preserving this life as much as possible. Like everything they heard from Mark all fits together perfectly. And then, yes. And then Frank turns around. And I don't know what they were thinking with this scene. Frank turns around and there is a like moose in front of him. A moose has wandered up and bellows in his face. <laughs> And Frank's hair stands on, on end in the reverse shot as he screams. And I'm like, what were they doing? What the hell? They were going as weird as... They must have heard about Twin Peaks. Yeah, well, that's, and that's the crazy part about this. Like, this and Twin Peaks were being filmed at the same time. And this whole arc aired, like, a couple of weeks before Twin Peaks started. 
I know, but you know, they, they may have been in discussion. Oh, absolutely. Like, like, they may, you know, they, they're friends. They may have known sure people there on the show. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's, you know? it's the kind they're... of bizarre thing you would expect on a Twin Peaks, not on a wise guy. But That's exactly it. Here we are watching <laughs> Wise Guy and just the most bonkers stuff you've ever seen is happening. <laughs> well, yes, it, it, it's just to remind you that Lynchburg is in the middle of the bush. Yeah, exactly. Just like Twin Peaks is in the middle of the bush. Yeah. Oh, and then so Vinny, uh, uh, no. we actually check in with Vinny right after that scene. Uh, Vinny throws no, away, we see he's got to Seattle. Uh, we see that he's got to Seattle. He throws away his cop uniform and he's back in his leather jacket and he calls up uh, Lacey to ask if Roger got there and yeah. you know, tell him and, you know, just tell him I'm okay. But don't, you know, it's like, uh, no, wait, he says, don't, uh, yes, don't tell them I called, but, you know, thank you for uh, <laughs> letting me know about Roger. It's being very nice, and it suggests a connection between these two characters that never happened because the all of the scenes where they first interacted never ended up getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no way around that. No. Nope. So it, it feels weird. All right. And then so Roger, and like, gets the message from Lacey, and they chat, and they flirt a little, and it's a nice scene. Yep. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it's a very nice scene between L Lacey and Roger. Yeah. And as she says, she says, I don't sell affection. I mean, I don't sell empathy. Yeah, I just sell sex. You know, empathy <laughs> is free, but nobody ever asks for it. Yeah. Or, oh. yeah. Yeah. It's a good line, and it's a good moment. Yeah, it was good, and it was a good moment between the two of them. And she says, and I don't have a fireplace that works. <laughs> and then we just fire. check in with all of the characters at the end of the scene. We get Frank, you know, in his tiny room up at Goroslava, right? We've got, uh, you know, Vinny on his tiny cot in his $12 a night flop SR. Oh, a week? $12, oh, sorry, $12 a, a week? week? That is ridiculous. No, you're right. That is bonus ridiculous. <laughs> Twelve, like what the hell kind of? Well, it's single room. Well, you saw what kind of a hell. It's, yeah, you open it's a door. Two dollars a day. Yeah, two dollars a day, and you save a dollar if you take it for a week. Yeah, I know. And uh, oh, and but hey, if you want a towel, five dollar deposit on the towel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't steal the towel. Yeah, there's not gonna let people get away with stealing towels. And let me and but and tell me when you want to take a shower because. You only get five minutes of hot water. Water, yeah. Only get five minutes of hot water for free. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah. That was that was another great joke. <laughs> no, the whole thing, like like all these little bits and pieces. Yeah. Are fine, you know. Well, no, and it's what I I like about this so much is they even when they were like thrown. Com like this crazy curveball, right? They've got this, they've had this ridiculous curveball thrown to them, right? And they still manage to do the interesting character stuff. And they do still manage to do these great scenes. And it, the show actually ends both uh, with a song playing. And by the way, um, I'm watching the old VHS versions. Are all of the actual songs on there in the DVD version you watched? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about the music from these scenes earlier, because in the bar, 
like there's music they paid for and at the end when lifeguard well the two lifeguards are dancing it's music they paid for and i guess it's just become catalog music in the version you're watching I would think so, because there was nothing... You didn't recognize any famous songs. I mean, nothing stood out to me. Yeah. Well, I can state for a fact that they're both... I mean, I don't remember what they are this second. I can go and check if you want, but they're both songs you would recognize. Oh, no, wait. In the um, in the, the bar scene, I do remember. Oh, I don't remember the last one. But in the bar scene, The Thrill Is Gone is playing on the jukebox. Well, that ain't, no, I that didn't make it into the DVD uh, versions. Okay, no, yeah, I feel I like you would have remembered if the thrill is gone, because it's again vitally important for how pissed they are about what's happening to the show. They literally have the thrill is gone playing in the background. Oh my God! Yeah, well, no, definitely for sure. You would have noticed that. Actually, okay, I am sure I would have noticed the thrill is gone okay. playing in the background. It's just. Yeah. Gener generated music in the background. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, the music yeah, I mean, is so good thing, in these. Yeah, because yeah, I still have the, my VHS versions, right? So it's even got like tonight on Wise Guy and next time on Wise Guy. Well, I get that, right? I yeah. get that. Just in, not in, all of it. Uh, it's all on the DVD. Yeah. Those, those parts of it are on the DVD and the woman who puts up 37 minutes has cut all that out. I wonder if she's, I, I'm going to back, go back and check on whether she has put up this episode and whether she's doing it from VHSs. That's a really good thing to check. Yeah. See if, yeah, it, because, because it, and see if the music is there. Mm -hmm. All right. And okay. things get interesting because now we're up to let them eat cake, uh, which is a d another delightful episode title. And we cut over to Vinny, who, you know, needs to make some money. And so he checks the job board and he finds a medical waste disposal service and he goes to get a job. And who's his boss there? It's Vincent Gustafaro! Now, I know that doesn't mean a lot, but Vincent Gustafaro was part of uh, David Mamet's troupe of actors. Oh, yes. Right, so he is in, like, every David Mamet project almost ever. He's just one of the guy who was there on stage, like next standing next to uh, Joe Montaigne as Joe Montaigne was playing all of the best parts. Vincent Gustafaro was the guy getting like all of the second best parts. <laughs> so for their entire career. So it's kind of a big deal to see him here, especially because this is the guy. This is the same guy who, if you're a Criminal Minds fan of ours, uh, who we pointed out in the episode play the sheriff i believe in the killer clown episode you know that was the one that was supposed to be a killer yes. Santa. and like <laughs> and it's so and it's such a funny thing to watch because joe montaigne is so happy that he's getting to act with one of his best friends he's like smiling throughout the entire scene as they're talking about like a whole family getting murdered right after christmas like axed to death and he keeps smiling because he's in a scene with vincent gustafaro which which as we say tells you what he thinks of criminal minds oh yeah no obviously <laughs> it's pretty funny but yes it's that actor doing a great job as an unbelievably sleazy mobbed up guy running a waste disposal system uh service yeah like who's so sleazy that uh, vinny's like you know uh I'm going to like, uh, he's like, I pay you a couple hundred bucks a week, whatever it is. And he, <laughs> and Vinny's like, can I get an advance? Cause I need my room. And the guy's like, 
This isn't the kind of job where we give out advances. We'll never see people again. So Vinny's like, I'll pay, uh, I'll, and the guy's like, I'll pay you for your previous day's work if you show up the next day at, uh, 12 a.m., which is honestly pretty reasonable. Like, you show up the next day at 9 a.m., you get paid for the previous day's work. That's, yeah. for, for a sleazy scumbag, he's actually very fair about this. <laughs> it's a nice scene. And so then it's back to Lynchboro as they're planning for the arrival of Helmut Zimbrick. <laughs> the guy in charge of whether they get a hospital or not and the funny part is like he uh they've created a giant they're planning a giant celebration it's you know free haircuts for everybody in town so everyone can look their best all of the uh, you know everything has been repainted all of the streets have been sweeped you know the ones that are actually paved which isn't very many because it's not that kind of town and all the trucks have to be washed. All the truck, everybody's car, everything has to be spotless. He wants yes. to impress. Even the snow, even the snow has to be spotless. <laughs> even the snow has to be pristine. Snow's okay, but I don't want to see any dirt on it. And no doo-doo. Yeah, and no doo-doo. So, you know, clean up after your dogs, people. <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's a very funny scene. No, the whole the whole thing, you know. I mean, you could get offended by a few little things every now and then, but the whole thing is so bizarre. Yeah, that it's just a farce. It is. I mean, you could actually look at this whole um, arc as kind of this farcical thing because it everybody, I mean, other than Roger, yeah, everybody is playing really over the top. Oh God, yeah. Every oh, even my. Frank's being oh, more broad than Frank. normal. Yeah. It's only Roger who's being like completely grounded and consistent. And Roger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got Roger there. Oh, God. All right. So, I mean, it is nice that Vinny, they were able to get Vinny to come back and start filming almost immediately. Not soon enough that they didn't have to do all the Roger stuff, but soon enough that they were able to get an arc going for Vinny in the last couple episodes of the season. We're going to be talking yeah. more about that next week with Meltdown. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of Vinny this week. We'll check back in him one more time. Uh, we find Mark, right, uh, with Michelle from the night before, you know, having breakfast in bed and watching Mr. Sardonicus. Because that's Again. all he does. Which <laughs> like, is freaking movie. And like, and the funny part is, I love all of the analysis they try to do when it's perfectly obvious why he's obsessed with this movie. It's a story about a guy who feels crushingly guilty because he, you know, defaced his dad's resting place for money. Like, what happened was the dad won the lottery, but he had gotten buried in the suit that the lottery ticket was in. You know, he won the lottery and then he died, but he was buried in the suit that the lottery ticket was in, so they have to dig up his body to get the ticket, and the son sees his, you know, horrible pulled back, the horrible pulled back face of his dead father because the skin has, you know, tightened and desiccated and is so horrified by this that his face gets... Uh, distorted. Uh, yeah, sorry, distorted and trapped in this grimace, like yeah. in this endless smile. Hence, Mr. Sardonicus, because he has a smile, a constant smile that has no warmth behind it, as in sardonic humor. So there you go. Yes, and there, and, and that's exactly... And that's what you see with Mark. Yeah. 
You really He's got to be upbeat all of the time. All the time. Yeah, because, you know, he has he's it's his town. He has to be in charge and he has to pretend he loves his life because that's how, you know, you convince everyone to keep doing it. But he is miserable and he is just hiding it under all of this. It's good. Like the movie they I don't know how they wrote this. Like who on earth sees Mr. Sardonicus and is like, I'm going to build an entire arc around of in my crime TV show ar themed around this William Castle schlock horror movie. Well, you know what? Yeah. You know, it was probably something that Canal had seen when in the seventies. He was yeah, when he was a well sixties, like sixties. Six, well, it's, yeah, but it's William you know, Castle, you know, and it's not like this not played on TV it. a lot. But yeah, okay, no, but he might not have seen it. No, but who I, knows but when he saw it? But yeah, in there saw it when they were a kid. I don't know if it was yeah, Canal or Frank Lupo or whoever, but oh. like somebody saw this when they were young, and it stuck with them, and they're like. Let's make an arc of television about this movie. Which is, then, you know, I, I, it is honestly, it, you know what the next, the only thing clo uh, close to this is? What? Arrested Development Season 4 is weirdly a huge amount of Arrested Development Season 4 is about the fact that back in the 19, um, in like the early 90s, uh, Roger Corman, so some company own the rights to make um, Fantastic Four movies, right? But they had to make a movie within six years or they would have to give the rights back to Marvel. So they hired Roger Corman to just make a Fantastic Four movie that they never intended to release. They're like, here's a million dollars. Go make a Fantastic Four movie. It's never going to see the light of day. You don't have to care. And yeah. that weird piece of movie trivia ended up forming like a weirdly large amount of the plot of Arrested Development season four, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. And that's, that is the level of strange that this, you know, obsession with Mr. Sardonicus on Wise Guy is. Like, that's how strange we're talking about. Arrested Development you know, season four strange. You know, I can see this sort of being, uh, when I, here, here's my suspicion. Take. Yeah. Here, here's here's a thing that could have happened. Now, whether it did or not, who knows? Okay. But I could see what happened. They started to get pressure in for in season three. Yes. That's, that's yes. clear. Do the shorter like, arcs. Do shorter arcs. Do this. Do that. And I suspect in the writing room, somebody or you know, and I think that Ken Allen Lupo would show up in the writing room periodically. Oh, absolutely, they would. Have. Right. And somebody brought this up. Wouldn't it be funny to do this? Right. Yeah. And. And and I don't think that, and I suspect that they initially didn't take it seriously. Right. You know, we could we could do this, blah blah blah. I could just see them sitting there, and then as things are getting worse, because they're <laughs> doing all of these, I, I, I seriously, as they're doing all of these stupid one-off episodes. Yeah. And so many of them, they're as getting, we yeah, talked more about, more and more frustrated could, with their job. Yeah, they decide. Okay, remember that idea we were laughing about. You yeah. know, Mr. Sardonicus. Why don't we do that? Because you know how the writing team gets together before. Oh, absolutely. Before the, a year. Yeah, right? Before they the season starts. They have a. Yeah. yeah. You know, they have that big conference. The story conference. Yes. 
before yeah, they start right? and so i suspect somebody brought this up yeah and, and like, thought it would be funny right and you know and everybody went ha 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 and then they and were then, having such an awful time they're like hey remember your mr sardonicus idea screw it we're doing it we're just doing it we're doing it we're gonna get canceled anyway what is it they matter? don't want us to do political stuff they don't want us to do any of this sort of <laughs> stuff anymore they're screwing around with our arcs they're not letting us do anything, so let's give them something they can't complain about. <laughs> let's give them Mr. Sardonicus. And, and let's give them this. And then they, they would sit around and work out how it could be done. Yep. Right? And that, then all of a sudden it turns into this, this thing. And who knows why Vinny quit, but that was the icing on the cake. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gave them an excuse to just go nuts with it. To go absolutely nuts with it, right? And I don't see why that wouldn't have happened. Honestly, you, know you could be it. right. Like, there's a good chance you're right. You know, because I, I can think of different situations where, you know, you sit around and you're you're throwing out all of these different ideas, right? When you're in a really bad situation. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a few of those where we have these, how are we going to handle all of this, right? And everybody, there's always one or two people, sometimes it's me, <laughs> come up with these bizarre ideas and go now i know i can't do this and i know this you know this is a crazy would, idea but, but but you know what if we did this this and this right if we did and, x y and z yeah you know and that would stick it to the man boy would that stick it to the man <laughs> and then some people would just <laughs> be like you know what sure let's do it yeah well no i mean most of the time it's it's better sense prevails because most of the time we were dealing with social services and the government. So when a lot of those things would happen, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like when I was working at Ecos or anything where everything's just boom, boom, boom. No, this is this is all when you're working um, or when I was, you know, doing serious volunteer work. Right. You know, and um, so it's, uh, yeah, well, you know, yes, that would be nice, but it ain't going to fly you know yeah. as the powers that be seriously i suspect that some of that would have happened because they had probably gotten the shtick from on high before they entered into the writing room yeah well that they that's the thing so they would have had this idea yeah because well no you know they had to have because they planned out yeah. short arcs we know yeah. they got told you know they got given the news that they weren't allowed to do big story arcs anymore because they only did short story arcs the whole season. And so, yeah, I, I, you're probably right that this was just a crazy idea someone had. And then they ended up running with it when they became incredibly frustrated with the show. Well, yeah, and Romp, and, and that may explain the end of Romp. Yeah, it could. It absolutely could. Okay. Now, you know, I mean, I didn't think of that when we were watching Rom. Mm -hmm. But now I'm looking at it and going, yeah, that could be another reason, you know. Let's just do this and stick it to him. All right. So you know? now we get oh, the... Oh, let's uh, get back. Yeah. So then, uh, so we've, we've done the whorehouse scene. Pre uh, preparations are being made and Mark goes to see Rogo in prison and say that after today everything's going to change and we can go back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Mark. It's I like love we Mark. Don't yeah, we don't have to be enemies anymore. 
after today, I'll have our hospital. I've achieved everything I want to achieve. And we can go back to being friends. And, you know, Rogo tells him, you can't forgive yourself, Mark. That's people, the funny thing, eh? Mark, people have Mark, to forgive you. Yes. And it, it's funny because Rogo knows him because we missed the line that Rogo said, you're a man in a child's... Yeah, a 200-pound man with the, uh, you know... Uh, the ego of a, a child. child. With the ego of a child. And yeah. Steve Ryan's like, 180? <laughs> 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 it's such a good moment. Just a little bit of vanity in there, right? Because we had heard the, uh, Rogo talking about how Mark, like, because uh, Roger says, you know, you must hate this guy. And he's like, no, I don't hate Mark. You know, I mean, when I, uh, like, his dad was the real bastard. His dad is the one who made it so he couldn't function in the world. Right? He was a rich kid and he got everything he wanted. And, but he had constant correction and constant abuse, making sure he stayed in line with what the family wanted. And as he says, when he went off to college, he blossomed and he became, uh, he became kind of amazing. Right. He became yeah. a great person. And then he tried to. And this is the interesting thing. This is the second time. And I don't know if they were intending this or they just forgot they did it. It was the second time. And maybe it's just this is all the writers know. Someone broke away from their family by trying to do a small by doing theater. Yeah. Because they specifically mentioned that Mark produced a play and it didn't work out because a week before opening, his lead went off to do a two-part Kojak. <laughs> <laughs> so the play thing didn't work out. And then he had to come home and he got worse, you know? Well, just like David. Yeah, Sturmer. just like David. <laughs> exactly. So it's like this little like callback to David. Yeah, oh, yeah David, David was successful at theater. And yeah. the problem there was, like, his father had actually had actually prepared him to do good in business, like, and be good at his job and, you know, go out in the world and succeed in a way that Mark's father didn't prepare him. And the big problem, of course, with David and Eli was Eli could never recognize that and Eli could never give his son any respect. Yeah. Oh, God, that was a good arc. But anyway, but it's it's a great scene between him and Rogo. Yeah. Like between Mark and Rogo, where like obviously Rogo still cares about him and still likes him, and Mark just can't get it. He can't not be in charge. He can't not be the father of the town for a second. Even for a well, second. Yeah, but that's what that's what his father raised him this whole he was completely, you know whatever you want to call it but his environment raised him to be this person and he couldn't let it go as we will find out oh god yeah and then we were already got the inkling so now we're gonna find out well and then you get the yeah. wonderful scene right where uh of course and again keeping in mind what roger thinks about the whole situation right uh roger says that overhears this whole conversation because he says that uh he's waiting for a call from Goroslava uh for the quote unquote exterminators 
i.e. removing all of the bugs to make sure the meeting is private. When, of course, what's actually happening is that Frank is bugging every room in the entire house. Yeah. <laughs> because, and as he says, like, I put bugs everywhere, but knowing Mark, he's definitely going to have the meeting with Helmet in the room with the, uh, the model. So Frank actually bugs the model. Get it? Because the thing that Mark loves most is what's going to destroy him. Get it? Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. This show loves its themes. Well, and, and it has to be obvious. Oh yeah, it has to be obvious. It has to be really clear to people. They want to make sure. This is American television after all. Well, not only that, but I do think the writers are going, uh, you know, because again, the suits that yeah. are making these decisions are clearly not capable of understanding. You know, we've seen this again and again and again, not here so much, no. but in other areas, right? The suits just don't get, get it. You have to make it simple. I mean, come on, you know this in terms of pitching. Absolutely, I've been there. You know, you, know, you, you cannot make it- As simply as possible, yeah. It's you know, and you've got to give them what they want. We've talked about you know, that at the beginning sometimes of things, I don't know what, you know, we've said, I don't know what they pitched to the suits, yeah. right? And whether the suits got what they were expecting. And Wise Guy may be one of those, the same thing with Crime Story. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what they were getting. Yeah. And then yeah. didn't like what they were getting, but were contractually obligated. And it did seem to be doing well in its time slots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, so but let's quickly, just do it. Quickly getting rid of things. I mean, it's mostly in um, comedy that we've talked about this. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes, too, you know, where they just, they'll do things like moving the show around so that you can't find it. Yeah, if they want to kill a show, they can do it. Oh, yeah. Put it on Saturday night. I think they did that with Wise Guy. It wouldn't surprise me if the last bit of Wise Guy aired on Saturday nights. The or night where is it is designed yeah. to kill TV shows. Other yeah. than Golden Girls. Golden Girls was a giant hit on Saturday nights. But it's like one of the but only that times that's Golden ever happened. Girl. Well, yeah, exactly. It had a very different audience than what most people we're expecting yeah. to watch although it was a giant hit all right so we finally get the big uh reception for helmet which has a where a you know a, a little girl is reading a poem <laughs> and mark like like let's let's move it along <laughs> that's that's great kids are wonderful aren't they <laughs> just like and so then he has the doctor come up uh the doctor come up uh to give him a fish uh, like a, a fish and the doctor starts giving a speech about how important hospitals are for the community and Mark's just like give him the fish doc <laughs> it's like let's move this thing along he's so impatient he really is like he is a child who's not used to waiting for things and he's almost got the thing he wants and he just can't wait any longer <laughs> It's so well drawn and so well, like, it's so well performed. And so they send the doctor off to the whorehouse to wait for the, uh, you know, to, like, have a good afternoon. And then they'll meet together that evening and do the bye. And then yeah. this will all be over. He'll get the, uh, <laughs> he'll 
You'll get the hospital. You'll get the hospital. Mark will get the hospital. Helbert or, or Zelmet will get the, uh, his $200,000 and then that'll, the business will be over. So then we cut back to Vinny, who is taking out medical waste and being asked to dump that medical waste in a lot at the top of a hill, just over like a school. Yep. So yeah, Vinny's not super psyched about what he's doing. Uh, not not really excited to be doing this at all. Right down to the fact that there's a little uh, dashboard Jesus in the truck he's in. And he's like, <laughs> you know, a little how far have I fallen moment for Vinny. <laughs> it's not going to be his last one in this arc. Uh, Except that he, uh, well, okay. We'll talk about that when we get there, though. Well... <laughs> Yeah. And he decides he has to do. He's infuriated. Yeah. But we don't get to that until melt. What he does until meltdown. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll talk about what Vinny winds up doing next week. Ah, uh, right. And so, oh my God. So as as we said, Roger has been there. Right. They bugged the place. They've had the conversation with Rogo. It's a great couple of scenes. And obviously, and then for and then. Roger has his own separate, and that's the key part. Roger has his own separate conversation with Rogo after Mark leaves, right? Yes. Where he's like, okay, uh, maybe this guy isn't as bad as I thought he was. Right? Maybe this town isn't as bad as I thought it was. And it's like, and he is, he is taken by Rogo, who's literally... Like, the man who, whenever things are going to start happening in the city, gets tossed in jail so he can't mess it up for Mark. And even this guy, who has more reason to complain about Mark than anyone, doesn't have any animosity in his heart towards Mark. Yeah, everybody likes Mark. Yeah, even Mark's enemy likes Mark. And so Roger is in this place where it's like, what side am I supposed to be on here? And it's exactly what he went through last time. Except last time he was he was realizing the people who are working for are monsters and had turned him into a monster. And this time he's finding out that the people he's working against really just have everyone's best interests in heart and aren't doing any damage meaningfully. You know. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and that's a reverse crisis of conscience. Yes. Well, and and as and it, I mean, as as has become clear, these people are not really um, have had everything taken care of. Like, yeah. like this is, in some ways, this guy is running the town, you know. And we, I called it the benevolent dictatorship, but it is. So yeah, they so they are. Cool. Their medical bills are all paid. Mm -hmm. everybody's They're, got a job everyone everybody's got a job mm -hmm. you know and whether you if you don't approve of sex work well then you've got a problem because even the preacher isn't yeah. even the preacher doesn't have a problem with the he goes he goes work. into the brothel himself and has his little quirks well no and that's the thing is and i mean i think it's a little sub message there which is 
why would you like if the priest isn't telling you to have a problem with the brothel the minister, why the would, minister. sorry the minister yes why would the why would you have a problem with sex work if you don't have a priest there telling you it's bad a minister, a minister there telling you i corrected myself this time but you're right a minister like if the minister's not there telling you the sex work is bad what is your problem with it yeah you know and that's it you know, and, and the problem with Bobby was that, that he was, it was just his girlfriend that he just, wanted to yeah, marry. Exactly. And so he wanted this girlfriend and her not to just go off. And it was, but it, that was just about him. That wasn't a problem with the institutions of the town. You know, <laughs> Bobby wasn't asking for a revolution. He just wanted his yeah. girlfriend back. Yeah. Oh, uh, then we get oh. a, another hilarious little scene where Frank has to get the message about where to um, when to bring in the money, and he also has to give a co get a code word for when the cops are supposed to come in and bust everybody, and he makes it the same code word for both <laughs> code word for both things. <laughs> so when I say appreciable, bring me the money, like uh, you know, it's cool to bring the money, and when I say appreciable, it's cool to come and bust everybody. <laughs> Just another cute little joke little cute little joke for us love that scene uh so yes they do they have the meeting with helmet and we find out the deal that like as long as he gets his cash they can be they can start building this hospital in a couple of weeks right like they, he can get all of the paperwork taken care of and he can mark can have his hospital and everything's gonna go great and then <laughs> roger brings in the money right roger brings in the money and the cops rush in to arrest Helmet. And they try to arrest Mark as well. And Roger's like, what evidence do you have against Mark? Oh, it turns out that the duffel bag that Roger turned over wasn't full of money at all, but just a bunch of books and paperwork about the town. Yep. <laughs> Roger double-crossed Frank. And you just have to make do with all of the stuff you've got already. Yep. On on helmet, yeah. you're not you got helmet. This. You're not getting Mark. You know you can get out of here now. Agents of the state's attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we have the key moment in this arc, right? And it's the journey Roger started in Dirty Little Wars ends here, where he is openly saying that yeah, capitalism's the problem. <laughs> Because what is his justification? Like, for and his justification for doing this, and he says it to Frank, is however bad this town is, whatever problems this town has, what is going to happen to it if Mark's not in charge? If we throw Mark in jail? Like, what is going to be left of the town and these people the minute some corporate raider shows up and finds out that there's this virgin territory to exploit? And yeah. the thing is, Roger's right. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the problem. The Roger's prob right. Yeah, the problem is, like, in the nature of capitalism is, and this is why systems like this are bad, it's only a good system if there's a good person at the top. You know, this kind of power imbalance is inherently a bad thing, and it cannot be, it can be slightly less bad if there's a quote-unquote good person, as you say, the benevolent dictator at the top. But guess what? The dictator's not going to be there forever. 
And that's a big part of it. Like this quote unquote benevolent dictator, he's not going to live forever. And that's why, by the way, that's why all of these guys are obsessed with living forever. It's like, cause this is their town and it's their job to be in charge of it. But you're not going to be there forever guy. And what happens when you're gone? And the answer is either at some point, what happens to every kingdom at some point you get a King who sucks so badly that the entire thing collapses you know, a Louis the Sixteenth type of situation. <laughs> a guy who was just so bit bad at being a king that uh, the French Revolution happened. Or, you know, at some point uh, in this thing, a bad guy gets put in charge of a corporation and it just exploits it and he they sell off all of the assets and they turn a quick buck and they go on to the next deal, leaving behind everyone broke and destitute, suddenly there's no health care for everybody suddenly there's no jobs for anybody so basically a Mitt Romney yeah the schools are gone Every, everything everything right it's just because Mark has funneled back all of the money so from much the, of the yeah. money like that he thing, makes Martin, into all those things yeah and people don't have to make a lot of money to live in because, this town because they don't have to pay for health care because they don't have to pay for um, you know, the education system. Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody goes to college here because why would you go to college when your entire life is already, you know, nice? You've, you're guaranteed this really good life working at the company, uh, working at the, the company town's company, right? Like, everybody no. has a good job for them. Everybody's got health care. Everybody's looked after. There's the church. There's the brothel. There's the slugfest, you know? It's a system yeah. that works for them. But the problem is, like all systems like this, it's just not sustainable. No, and 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 what look what happens when you get a stem. Yeah. It can all fall apart in a second. Yep. If you get one really bad guy in there. And that's what's so good about Roger's statement here, which is like fundamentally, it's an attack on this these power imbalances. Because at the end of the day, you've got a P uh right? a whole town of people who are used to being powerless have been accepted they're powerless. And, you know, if you've got a great guy having all the power, that's fine. But, you know, to, to use the X-Men thing, Magneto seems like a great dude and I'm fine with him running, taking over the world and running it. But like, he's going to die at some point and then Quicksilver's in charge. And you know <laughs> what? I don't want to live in a world that Quicksilver's running. It's that simple. Yeah, it it, yeah. Like, it really is. That's why this kind of hereditary thing doesn't work. And the but the irony is in this situation, having a corporation eat the town isn't going to make it things any better for the people who live there. So what do you do? And yeah. what they do? Well, that's what you know. Next week's about. Yeah, that's what next week's about. But yeah, so Frank and uh, and of course, Mark is absolutely distraught that he has lost his hospital. But as Roger said, you got to give Frank credit. Frank's the one who spotted the uh, agents coming into town. And he gives Frank all of the credit for uh, having him turn over, you know, just a stack of paper instead of yeah. the uh, the money. So he's he does set uh, Frank's cover even cover. more effectively than it already was. Yeah. Because, you know, Roger's not trying to blow up the whole operation. He just doesn't want the town to be destroyed. He sees the value in it. 
And well, he's, yeah, but he does think want things to change. Yes, so. of course. He wants things to change, but he doesn't want them to get destroyed, which is what would have happened if Mark had been arrested. Yeah. And then we get the key scene of the episode <laughs> where Mark explains everything about his family. Yep. <sighs> and who shows up but Rogo because Roger gave the co uh, Donnie specific instructions to let Gro uh, Rogo out of jail an hour after I leave and bring him up to Gorislava. And so everybody, so we start with Mark apologizing to his father and grandfather that, you know, he's not going to be able to bring them back because he's not going to get the hospital and the research center. And then Roger comes in and tries to talk to sense, some sense into him. And then Rogo comes in and tries to talk to some sense into him. And we find out that the, the reason that there are five, uh, sorry, four canisters is because there's one for Mark, there's one that his dad is in, one that his grandfather's in, and he's also kept Rogo's arm and leg from his accident. I know. Oh, damn! <laughs> he's just like, obviously at some day, science is gonna let me make you whole, and then I'll just be able to give back to you what you lost. Damn! <laughs> And you just want to cry. I know. And he just, Mark so doesn't get it. And Ro, all Rogan well, has to say is it's like, I don't care about my arms. I lost my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about my limbs. Yeah. And then you've got Lacey at the same time, you know, freaking out because she, for whatever reason, making good money and having a good life. But it's like, she too believes that Mark just cares about everybody too much. Yes. You know? She does. Like that all he wants to do is help and it's destroying him and the whole town. You know, Rogo doesn't appreciate it. The town doesn't appreciate it. He is like giving everything and getting nothing back. It's it's rough. It's a good scene. Like all of it is yeah, I mean, it, it all is when you, yeah, no, I, yeah. you know, we call this a bizarre, but I mean, in terms of explaining yeah. why Mark yeah. is the way he is, because remember, his grandfather was put in one of these cryogenic. Yep, and that's then how his, long and, this has been going on. Like, this has been going on forever from the time he was little. This is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. And that's all he's ever really known and um yeah i and the, and the father of course was just horrible and uh, yeah. and the mother the, the women don't count they don't count they were just there to create more sons yeah. to create more male volcheks like it's so though don't, they they're not volcheks so though they don't get they don't count and they don't get preserved yep oh it's so good it's yeah. so well done. And then we wrap up in a very similar place to last week where everything sucks for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like Rogo has smashed up his his own, like the tubes going into his own uh, cryogenic chamber, right? And outside, Frank and, you know, Roger are just stuck there waiting outside in a beautifully constructed shot 
where like they're in you know ankle deep mist again while red light pours out of the mausoleum but no moose comes by no moose this time yes the moose stays away this time (laughs) doesn't like the fog and the red lights yeah and then frank goes and reports to lifeguard that i don't know what the hell we're gonna do like mark is basically comatose at this point and we see mark just like sitting on the floor staring off into the distance Right? No, I, and like, Frank's like, I don't, at this point, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And they're worried about Vinny. They don't know what they're supposed to do with Mark. Like, what is, what is the situation here? And then we cut back to Vinny, and it turns out the kids are getting hepatitis from all the medical waste. Yep. Oof. And is this something Vinny can let slide? He's not a cop anymore, but... He can't let it slide, but he is Vincent Terranova. Exactly. He can't let the kind of thing go. And the one thing we didn't mention was, I guess they knew they weren't going to have time to do more with Lifeguard. So they just, like, everything's wrong with his character. They just have the other Lifeguard tell him to his face what is wrong with him. And I really (laughs) like that. Because he's like, how do you have such a nice loft? And she's like, oh, it wasn't nice originally. You know, there was mold and cockroaches everywhere. And he's like, well, how'd you do it? And she's like, I got permission to renovate. And he's like, but what about all the... (laughs) What about all the red tape? And she's like, I just kept at it until it was done. Yeah. And as he says, so what you're saying is... I'm choosing my to keep myself miserable, so I'll have something to complain about. Because <laughs> I don't complain about my life than do something to make it better. And I'm like, yes, that is your problem, Dan. Yes, as we've known up to this point. <laughs> and it's just, and I think it's right what you're saying about the we've reached a point where they know they're leaving, so they don't have time for subtlety anymore. Yeah. <laughs> So they just have Lifeguard announce what's going on with his character. Like, it's been clear to anyone paying attention. Sorry about that. It's been clear to anyone paying attention, but now you don't even have to pay attention. We're just going to tell you. (laughs) And if you think this show has been weird and on the nose and giving up subtlety up until this point in this story arc... You have no idea what's coming next in Meltdown. (laughs) And the thing is, it's like, it is, the episode of Meltdown is based on a piece of fiction, a very famous piece of fiction, but we're not going to say what it is. We'll talk later. We're going to talk about that later. And the funny part is, um, they actually made one mistake in Meltdown that I will talk about next week. Okay. Because, and it's not that they do something incorrect, but they missed a piece of interesting trivia that could have made all the Mr. Sardonica stuff like completely resonate even more. And I'll tell you what that is next week. So that's my little teaser because there's something about the whole Mr. Sardonica stuff that could have landed even more effectively Okay. Had they well, known, had they used this one piece of trivia, and that's the only tease I'll give. We'll talk about it next week, okay? Okay. 
Now she doesn't even know what I'm talking about. No, 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 it's not that. It's just that I'm going, I am sure that I watched the correct episode. And I thought there was more in this about Vinny. No, 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 no. He doesn't, uh, it literally ends with him looking at the newspaper that has the hepatitis on it. Well, you might have started watching Meltdown because you didn't want to stop watching. Yeah, I guess I would have watched. Yeah, you probably just you probably just let it run on the DVD and the next episode started. Yeah, because I was doing a bunch of different things and at the um, same time. So there you go. That's likely what happened. Yeah. All the stuff about the hepatitis and what Vinny decides to do. That's that's all in Meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll get there. All right. Okay. So, uh, I guess that's that. As always, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you would like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We are going to be back here next time for. Uh, Meltdown, which is 3.20 and an arc in review where we talk about what the whole Lynchboro arc meant and why we liked it so much, although I think that's pretty clear, really. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun, and then we're going to be back the week after that for Sanctuary and Brump Brump, the last two episodes of season three of Wise Guy. And I don't think we're going to have to do an arc in review because it's just like... <laughs> just two episodes yeah <laughs> i mean it's closing off what started in this episode but it's really not anything you can call an arc no <laughs> but all right so uh that should be fun we'll see you back here for that oh and of course uh we'll see you back here for that on wednesday and of course on tuesday drop by for a new episode of vincenzo uh my favorite korean tv show although maybe there are better ones out there i just really love vincenzo well, I haven't found one yet. I've now started because I'm watching too many of them. <laughs> I've now started to watch the odd one that I'm going, like one I just got to episode three and went, nope, I'm not going to watch the stupid the stupidity. And then I found one that was 16 episodes long, could have cut for, for like you could have tightened it up a yeah. lot. Lots it of could have been 12 episodes. Um, I still watched it to the end because it was a fascinating the concept was fascinating. It was called Possessed yeah. or Possession. Yeah. It was called Possession if you're on Netflix and want to see it. It's 16 episodes, and I really think it could have been done in about 12. Hey. Um, but other than that, but the it, the the idea and the con the construction, like the the whole was so fascinating that I watched it even All the when way through, even when you weren't it, that. I was, well, no, even when I had to watch way too many Episodes. walks on the beach or whatever, you know, oh, it was no. that car chases that were way, or car, like driving, driving someplace. Scenes. Well, yeah. you guys, like, you got to stop setting the mood this much. Dial it yeah, back a know, little. We've got two and a half minutes of this drive and it could have <laughs> done it in 45 seconds in, in the movie. Damn. That is too much. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I adore Squid Game, but I'm going to pick Vincenzo over Squid Game. Just oh, because yeah. Squid Game has a lot to say. Vincenzo has a lot to say, too, and it's not relentlessly bleak and tearing your heart out every episode. That's right. No, it's not. 
You so, know, yeah, if you're going to ask me favorite, do I think Squid Game's incredible? I do, but it's a favorite. It's going to be Vincenzo. Oh, uh, even now I'm I'm aching to get back to. Which we will, we it. will. All right, yeah. so that's that. We'll see you back here next time. If you're listening on an app or podcast, be sure to rate and review it. That's how people find the show. See you soon, but until then, au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.